The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we definitely do look at how technology impacts our lives. And all I can tell you, thank goodness for technology. Imagine the last year if we had to write letters and uh, get on a train to go visit our office. So times have changed, and in many ways so have we. But what a day to have a show. April 1, 2021 is definitely not the time for um, April Fool's jokes, though there have been quite a few. There were windmills in Delta Park and a couple of other crazy things on the go. And I suppose it's a great tradition, breaks the, the, the craziness of of our normal work work lives, but still, we're not going to the moon. I'm not going to I'm not going to give you any uh, crazy things to discuss. But then again, I'll give you a little heads up. Listen carefully. You never know when I might be talking about stuff that possibly, possibly is not real. No, honestly, not going to go there. But we're just going to talk about lots of good news for Apple users going forward. Also, some really practical advice from Lance Dickerson. He's the MD of Revolve. They're the guys I had on the show a while back talking about how they take car batteries from um, electric cars and repurpose them for home use in uh, sort of battery backup systems for power. But he, we have a great conversation about some practical steps you need to take and some of the costs involved, which have really, even in RAND terms, discussing the way the, the RAND is going, what you can do to become more electricity resilient, stay off the grid for the most part, and who knows where this is all going. I hear Kusili's got a new uh, generator that's come online, so maybe a little less load shedding, but the simple fact is we are going to see power instability, such a polite way of saying load shedding or power inability to deliver for the next couple of years. So listen in. I think Tech Talk Cafe at 11.20 will bring you a lot of really interesting stuff and a lot of um, insight into what you actually have to do to stay stay alive, connected to your various technology. Because there is one huge drawback from technology. Writing a letter took a pen and paper. You could find lots of ways of doing it. Getting on the train pretty much came past every every other day. But if your power goes down and your Wi-Fi stops working and perhaps you haven't got any airtime left on your phone, Life becomes super complicated in this day and age of always on and always connected and everyone wanting to deal with you online and not in in face, you know, face to face. So anyway, on to some of the news of the week. It's a bit of an Apple week, which is quite interesting. Apple internationally and locally have always offered pretty good service on their devices. But that quality of service with genuine Apple spares was pretty much reserved for Apple authorized repair agents, and in this country, um, the core group who are the distributors of Apple, as well as the mobile phones, obviously went to, through often through the, the mobile networks, were, who were authorized. But obviously, as phones get older, you don't want to spend the sort of money, and you go to third parties. And they had a lot of really decent repair options, but it's not quite the same thing as having a genuinely um, Apple certified and repaired phone. Well, the good news is what Apple have done is they've ex- extended their Apple independent repair provider program, what a mouthful, to many countries, including South Africa. And what that simply means that if you are in the 
technology repair business and you have got a genuine walk-in facility somewhere in the country, so anywhere that you have a proper shop, they specifically exclude any home-run businesses for whatever reason. They might have to revise that. But essentially, if if you can qualify and you have had and you've got one certified technician, you can go through their courses online, very simple to do. So if you're looking to start up a little business, you will once you are uh, certified as a genuine provider of of Apple products, you can then repair any Apple uh, cell phone with genuine parts at the same price as their other people, and the and you can get the same repair tools again at the same price as the major Apple stores. So the big the big Apple distributor stores. And all you really have to do is log on to support.apple.com forward slash IRP middle dash program. I'll repeat that because some people might be very keen to try. Support.apple.com forward slash IRP forward slash little middle dash, not slash, sorry, program. And then you get, um, you get genuine parts genuine repair tools and everything. And for the consumer, it really does help because their pricing is often competitive with the third party. And I know from personal experience experience having fixed a few older iPhones with screens and things, and the screens from a lot of the third party things just do not last and they break and all sorts of strange things happen. And on another Apple note, which is really interesting, and it's something that... um, has been long time coming to South Africa, is finally Apple Pay has launched in South Africa. So if you're a client of Nedbank, if you're a client of ABSA or Discovery Bank, all you have to do is open up your app on your iPhone and it'll inform you that uh, you can now load your credit card on Apple Pay. The benefit of this is is twofold. One, it certainly makes your life easier when you just want to pop out your phone and not leave your wallet in your, your, your purse or in your pocket. So it's just a great, simple solution, and it works absolutely seamlessly. One little trick, unfortunately, with, a, with a, a mask on, Face ID tends to get a little difficult to use. But generally, you just take the phone out, look at it, double-click the, the uh, volume, the on and off button, and up pops your credit card, and you tap it on any terminal that takes a tap to pay, and it'll work, and it'll work anywhere that a tap-to-pay terminal exists. Right now, my own personal bank and one of the biggest sort of tech providers of of banking, FNB is still not on the platform, but I have it from fairly good um, insider information that this will come in the nearish future. They won't commit any more than that, but I would believe that it makes sense. The other benefit is that international um, Apple Pay cards will also work. So anyone visiting the country, which I'm not sure when that will happen anytime soon, but anyone visiting the country with an Apple Pay card will be able to use their iPhone to pay in South Africa. And then as an added benefit, anyone with a South African Apple Pay card when they travel overseas or anywhere else in the world where Apple Pay is accepted will then be able to use their smartphone to pay with um, Apple Pay. So I think it's a great, great um feature. Samsung in South Africa and globally have been leading for the most part, certainly for South Africans by with Samsung Pay and now the uh, Apple Pay um, 
wagon is, has been hitched to the various banks and we're off. So the competition is great. Having a smartphone, many times I've popped out to gym, left my wallet at home, wanted to go to the shops to buy something, had my phone with me, but didn't or couldn't uh, pay for anything because I, I didn't have a payment mechanism. I used to use my watch um, with Fitbit Pay. That was great. Then I changed the watch and forgot to set it up. So I think it's a great thing that it's come. I think it will make life a lot easier for a lot of people. And if you're an Apple fan, finally, you can impress the friends by using your phone or your watch, your Apple watch, to pay using any one of the above cards. As I said, Discovery, it works. I've tried it. Absurd works. I've tried it. And Nedbank, I haven't tried, but it did pop up when I opened the app and it showed I had the ability to load a card on my phone. So give it a shot. I think it'll be really, really, really interesting um, to see how this develops. But it's another contactless payment system in the current environment. It certainly makes a lot of sense. In other news this week, um, our dear friends Huawei have launched probably one of the coolest phones on the market, the P40 Pro. The P40 launched last year. The Pro is a step up on that with the most spectacular hardware specs, incredibly fast uh, processor, unbelievable screen, cameras. Long time they've been setting the agenda with cameras. So a, a camera array that certainly will bring some of the best to the market. There is unfortunately a huge fly in the ointment. They still have no access to any of the Google Play Store. They're still not registered on the Google Play Store. And for the most part, that completely sets this phone apart. I cannot use it for work. I managed to get teams to work on it, and I managed to get a couple of other things to work on it, but it's a mission to do so. And a lot of people would not like it. I cannot run it through my office's um, mobile device management software. It's just, unfortunately, not a mainstream phone. So as good as the hardware is, I'm afraid we're going to have to give that one a pass. And we'll be back with our Tech Talk Cafe clip straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here on uh, High FM. And as usual, and as I've had before, I've got Lance Dickerson, who's the MD of Revolve, on the line. And Lance is going to give us some practical steps on how we can become a little bit more electricity resilient. And I mean, all of us have had the problem over the last couple of months, couple of weeks, in fact, regarding the whole problem with load shedding. And in fact, I'm one of those people who preferred a four-hour load shedding to all these multiple two-hour load sheddings. It's much harder on my Wi-Fi to have it go off twice a day. So welcome to the show, Lance. And it is a huge challenge, but there is a potential solution. And this is what we're talking about today. What is the, the recommended process to go through this? And obviously, in the end, we're going to have to figure out a cost to the whole story because it's quite a it's not insignificant but i believe pretty manageable in the context of what's going on out there in south africa yes thank you thank you Stephen, for the for the intro thanks for having me back again um very kind of you indeed um yeah as you as you quite rightly said um the, the problem that we're having at the moment is and and it's not a problem that's not going to that is going away very quickly but um escom and their load shedding or load reduction or whatever it is that you want to call us um, Every infamous for cutting off the power. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they you know at the moment we we were looking at a very interesting little graph um, the other day and we we saw that 
Eskom has actually lost 10% of their availability in the last five years. So they've dropped from 75% to 65% uh, power availability on average across the country. Now, as we all know, it's much easier to break something than it is to repair it. And so in anybody's rightful estimate, this to get this back to where we were five years ago is going to take us at least another five years, possibly even 10 years. And if we want to get it back to a level where it's, you know, above 80 or closer to 90% where it should be, that's going to take a good, good, good period of time. They're putting in all sorts of interim solutions in the moment. They've um, procured um, some power ships or, or actually rented them. Um, for what appears to have been a, a period of 20 years, at a cost of approximately 218 billion rand, um, the reports say in, in, in a number of articles that I've read. Um, and, and this just, just kind of lends itself to that there's no immediate solution to this, that we've had to go into interim solutions for the next 20 years. They've also released a, a, a lot of tenders in the last uh, couple of weeks, Again, these things are all going to take three, four, five years before we see um, see them coming to fruition. And if the availability continues to go down, then load shedding is going to be here for another five years, maybe three years if we're lucky. Um, and then, of course, the other thing that's contributed is, is with COVID, um, a lot of companies have started to work from home, sent all their people home, and this has caused a different problem as well because suddenly the demand has shifted um, during the day to residential areas, from commercial areas, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're not capable and they never planned um, to be able to put to, to provide those um, loads, to be honest. So uh, what we did was we thought, well, let's have a look at this and see what, what can we give as real advice and, and real assistance to help people understand how they can do this. And that, yes, it is not a cheap exercise, but actually it is in fact affordable. Um, for a lot of people, um, particularly for people that are working from home who absolutely have to have connectivity all the time, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a lot of people are happy that we now have a two or two and a half hour load shedding. Um, I know you mentioned yourself that you're not happy about that. Um, so it, it's really different strokes for different folks, but it, it, it is really, really an inconvenience to everybody. And there's really a couple of steps that need to be followed for you to to establish what it is you need and uh, to get yourself to a point of either going off the grid or being able to to take some steps in that direction and make sure that you've got power whenever you want it. And I mean, this obviously is aimed at the consumer at home, but also to small businesses and even larger businesses across across the country, because without consistent power, I mean, we're a connected society the mobile networks do a reasonable job of keeping us connected over these sort of power outage times. But for the rest of us, you, I've seen it in my business. The minute that uh, the power goes off, people sit and do nothing. There's hardly any way for them to work. So this is pretty much uh, applicable to everybody in the country right now. Correct. Um, particularly, you hit it right on the head. Um, the small businesses, not only not only the guys that are working from home, but even the guys that are sitting in large shopping centers um, where they're not able to run a small generator because they're in the middle of the shopping center. They've got horrific, um, you know, lease uh, payments that need to be made and they don't get any relief from landlords, et cetera, et cetera. The big guys um, have their, their generators which run their stores. But these guys are really stuck. And so, you know, there, there's some, there are solutions that they can have which will enable them to stay open 
while the rest of the shopping center or the rest of their neighbors um, are closed and, and hopefully help them to recoup some of those, some of those costs. Um, and then of course the guy that's working at home who's been sent home, um, either by his corporate or simply because they can't afford to be in the office with a, with a COVID outbreak or whatever the case may be, um, very applicable to them. Um, and it's really, really simple. Really, it's, it's about going through the first step, which is to try and decide what do you need in terms of, of loads in your house? And we term it high priority and low priority loads. Um, and, and not to get into jargon, it's really just deciding when the power goes out, what do we really need? Well, we all need our computer. Uh, we all need a Wi-Fi connection. We all love to have our TV to be able to work. Um, a couple of lights and being able to boil a kettle. Um, that's what gets us through the couple of hours and um, allows us to carry on working, to carry on having meetings like you and I are um, currently, um, etc. And it, it's always important to bear in mind that it's not, it's never practical to run things like geysers and stoves and washing machines and tumble dryers, etc. off battery backups or any other kind of backup. It is possible, but it's not practical. So really deciding what for you is a high priority and what for you is a low priority when the lights go out, that's quite an important step. And once you overcome that, um, you, you sort of move into the, into the other steps. So um, essentially, for most of us, I would imagine, just in summary, that people would like to keep their connectivity up and running, their basic entertainment platform, some lights, and just the 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 conveniences of life all the heavy stuff can wait till the power comes back on at some point correct absolutely it's the stuff that's critical to you um and that as i say that varies for everybody um the second most important thing to take into consideration is the time period so until very recently it was only really hard well karting and and um a couple of other provinces around up here that were running four-hour schedules um, the guys down at the coast have always sort of run two to two and a half hour schedules, which they found um, to be better. Eskom, uh, well, the municipalities actually have decided up here now to do two and a half hours or two to two and a half hours at a time. So that changes a little bit. But understanding for how many hours do you need. So how many hours do you need to be able to power your television? How many hours do you need to be able to power a couple of lights, the kettle, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Um, and you know, once you've, once you've determined that, then it's easy to dimension a system. The one thing that we must bear in mind is, I, I know we, we kind of call load reduction and load shedding the same thing, and essentially it is, but the, the people that are subject to load reduction schedules are much worse. Those load reduction schedules on a regular basis are 8 to 12 hours at a time um, and don't necessarily affect you and I, but uh, I think affect large, large uh, numbers of people um, outside of the, of the major cities. Now, I can understand that. And I think also, in reality, because of the fragility of the infrastructure in many cities and many towns, that you often do land up with extended um, periods of no power, up to eight hours, 24 hours in some cases. So I think you're correct that a, a two, two-and-a-half-hour load shedding schedule is easy to manage. But there are often times where you don't have powers for extended periods of time, which is is a challenge. And this, I believe, will continue over the next little while anyway. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And um, it, it happens um, quite often just simply in the area that I live. And when the load shedding comes back, 
the infrastructure isn't able to manage and it falls over and it needs another half hour to an hour of switching on and off and playing until the thing actually gets back up again. Um, so you, you are absolutely right. And it, it's not going to change in, in the near future. So we need to look at ways of being able to work with it um, and, and not necessarily against it as much as we'd like to, I guess. Um, but trying to work with it is what we, we you know, trying to do. Um, so, you know, once you've, once you've sort of established this is what I need to run and this is how long I need to run, run it, um, there's a couple of options to start looking at now in terms of where do I go and find somebody to do this for me? Now, you can go and find a small portable system um, in the major retailers um, where you can find a small little battery that's got a little inverter that changes the battery power into into AC for you to run some appliances. Uh, you need to plug it into the wall to charge it, and you need to move it around your house as you move around your house or have extension cords, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but really where we, where we come in is, is a system that has been installed into the house more as a permanent to semi-permanent installation where it's seamless. So you don't see it, you don't hear it. Um, in fact, you don't even know that it's there. When the power fails, there's no um, lights that flick on and off. There's no interruption in your internet connectivity. Um, you could be having a phone call like this and it would carry on in a seamless fashion. So find a, uh, finding a reputable UPS or solar installer is the first place to start. They'll come along and uh, look at your energy requirements and uh, provide you with guidance on what you need. Um, a lot of people think this entails now we're going to have to put a bunch of solar panels on our roof. Um, we're going to have, have to have lots and lots of reticulation done in terms of cabling, etc. It's not. It's much simpler than that if all you're looking for is a backup um, solution. But a reputable um, installer is the guy that, that will help you with it and We've got a, a list of reputable installers on our website who we have worked with over the last four or five years um, through all of these we, who we recommend um, can install our products and a, and a range of other products as well. <clears throat> um, the, the last step is, is then just deciding what that requirement is, determining the baseline, and um, then deciding how much you want to spend. Um, the installer will come... If, if they know what they're doing, they will come along and install a, a little energy meter into your system. Um, the system will then determine what your peak and your average usage is over a period of about a week. Uh, will, will, will determine what you need to do, uh, what is for you critical and what is non-critical. Um, they will then uh, advise on how to split those loads so that you don't have to do anything manually. And then simply install um, a very efficient and, and quick battery installation, which um, generally will take the, the battery ins installation itself will take half an hour to an hour on one of our, our star systems, which is a, a fully configured all-in-one system, um, and uh, and connect your ESCOM into the system and, and and the AC from the battery into your into your DB board via the inverter. So Can I just interrupt there yeah. quickly? I think we need to clarify one thing. Uh, the, the core of the system is a battery and an inverter. The battery stores the energy, the inverter turns into 220 volts for the house, and off you go. How the battery is charged is another option, whether it's directly off ESCOM or your mains when the power is on, or solar, 
which then makes you somewhat independent of whether the mains is on or not. Am I correct in, in that assumption? Absolutely. But you yes. have the one without the other or both. Yes, you can have one without the other or both. And um, the more sophisticated inverters uh, will allow you to run a mixture of loads. Uh, they're called hybrid inverters. Uh, they will allow you to run um, solar and will automatically bring in some ESCOM power or battery power when, when there's not sufficient solar. Um, but you're absolutely correct. So you could use wind power to, to charge the batteries. You could use solar or you could just simply use the grid um, so that the power is available when you need it, when the grid is no longer available. Which is Obviously, a UPS type environment, which just gives correct. you a little bit of power when the power's off. Correct, correct. Um, the options, obviously, with, with solar and wind and a little bit, add a little bit of cost, but they do reduce your ESCOM bill at the same time. So that's also a balancing act that is then looked at by the installer and evaluated to give you the best, best bang for your buck, really. That's brilliant. That really does make a lot of sense in the, in the, in the, in the global scheme of things. And the one question a lot of people have asked me is how long do these batteries last? Because that's a key thing. Because it's all well and good to have all these batteries, but they're not cheap. And what happens if you kill them? Correct. So what what we do, um, uh, uh, Stephen, is is we pride ourselves in being the only people in South Africa currently that actually repurpose EV batteries out of electric vehicles. Um, so when it comes to life, um, the life of an EV vehicle battery inside the vehicle is shortened because over time, uh, it becomes too heavy for the vehicle and it, it doesn't provide the energy that the, that the vehicle requires. However, the battery in the really, really harsh environment of a vehicle is, is designed to last for six to 7,000 cycles. We get the batteries after about 2,000 cycles. Um, they get um, evaluated, they get tested, they get repackaged into what we call a, a second life offering. And uh, that second life offering is easily able to provide you with four to 5,000 cycles, which is, in, a, in essence, four to 5,000 days um, at a cycle a day. And uh, so that's that's really the life expectancy of a lithium-ion phosphate battery, which is what we use. So I forgot to mention that up front. There are other, other chemistries, other technologies um, that, that don't... The batteries you'd recommend with the greatest sort of longevity and cost versus performance ratio. Absolutely. Lithium ion phosphate is um, the safest battery chemistry that there is currently. Um, it's also a reason why the Chinese government has decided that they will no longer support other chemistries in mobile electric vehicles for the foreseeable future. So they are going to ensure that only lithium ion phosphate is used in, in vehicles simply because of the safety, um, the safety aspect, and then it's longevity as well. Yeah. So then once you've got a Obviously, as part of the whole package, if you simply have an inverter and a stack of these batteries, what is the average house with four people in it using in terms of power in a in a in terms of a two or two four hour backup? So, in the instance of an average home, and I guess I'd I'd you know classify myself as an average user, and, and most people, it's, it's very seldom that people use more than about a kilowatt. So on average, they will peak. You put your kettle on and it'll jump to three kilowatts for a minute or two. But the average power consumption on a house will hover somewhere between 500 and 1500 kilowatts, sort of averaging out at a thousand kilowatts. 
So if you were to put in a 10 kilowatt hour battery, that effectively should give you somewhere between six and 10 hours of battery backup um, in the house. Uh, the important- you don't drink too much tea. Correct, yes. <laughs> 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 yes, and, and, and run your heat off it, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, the average house, yes, that, that will get us, you know, sort of six to 10 hours. And a lot of people don't even need that. Sort of five kilowatt hours, um, you know, will give you the, the, the load shedding time. You run a little bit of risk if it goes on a little bit longer. Um, but, uh, the, 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 one of the important things to notice as well is that you cannot allow your peak usage to exceed the peak usage of your inverter. So let me clarify that a little bit. Your inverter has a peak um, KVA um, value that it can put out. Generally, we would recommend something like a 5 KVA because that allows you to have a couple of lights and things on. And when you turn your kettle on, the, the, the spike in use doesn't exceed the 5 KVA. Now, a lot of people don't really understand that. And so they think, well, hey, I've got this you know, 10 kilowatt hours of battery, so I can boil a kettle all day. You can't. Okay, so you can't exceed the, the, the capacity of the inverter that creates the 220 volts at any point in time, no matter what you do. If you do, it'll probably shut down. Absolutely. So what it'll do is it'll just go into protection mode and dependent on the, on the brand of inverter, after a couple of minutes, it'll come back, reset itself and carry on running. Um, the, so now, the, sorry, unfortunately, we're running out of time again. It's crazy when you when you talk serious stuff like this. But the question is, how much would the basic, I mean, just a ballpark, sort of a range of what the cost would be, and then lastly, where people can find out all this information for themselves if they're interested. Sure. So we at at Revolve in our in our second life range, we put together an all-in-one system, which um, effectively is a little bit smaller than your average single door fridge. Um, certainly not as deep, about half as deep as a single door fridge, but about as high as a fridge um, and looks really nice and neat in the corner. That includes all the cabling required, all the breakers, fuses, um, the inverter, the ability to, to add panels to that inverter. So it's got an, uh, a built-in solar charger if you want to, along with 10 kilowatt hours worth of batteries, um, and uh, all installed, everything for in the region of about 70,000 Rand, excluding that. So that's to the end user. Um, and that, as I say, would, would provide the average home um, with sort of six to 10 hours of backup. Uh, and that includes, that includes the solar charging panels as well, or simply the inverter battery setup. No, just the inverter battery, battery setup, it doesn't include the panels that, that go on the roof. Those are an optional extra, which can be done. The reason is that um, installing panels on roofs, uh, they all differ. Okay, so it becomes a much more technical exercise. And right. where can people find out more about this? Because, look, in today's day and age, 70,000 Rand is not insignificant money, but considering it's got a 10-year or so payback period, um, it's probably not a bad thing at all. Correct. Um, so they can, the best place for them to find us is they can find us on, uh, on, um, Facebook and, and Instagram under Revolve and then just look at www.revolve.co.za. Um, those are the best places to find us and all the, the contact details are on the web pages and on, on the Facebook pages, etc. 
Well, brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us. And I mean, I'm obviously doing this for a really simple reason, that if people have got power, they can listen to my show. And if they haven't got power, they can't listen to my show. So everybody out there listening, go and get some power so that you're never disconnected from Chai FM. But thanks so much for joining us, Lance, and uh, we'll stay in touch. I'm sure these things are going to keep growing and keep changing as we go forward. Correct. And thank you very much, Stephen, for your time. And thank you, listeners, for your time as well. Thank you. Cheers. Great stuff. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to, obviously, the topic that everyone's dealing with, and I know we all oisker zoomed and had enough spending in front of our computers and everything, but it's still a reality. It's a fact of life. We're going to continue with this for the foreseeable future, well, at least for this year. And thereafter, I think there's going to be a much more flexible working arrangement about when you're in the office, when you're on the road, when you're not um, available to sit at your desk. And you need to communicate, you need to spend time communicating with your various stakeholders, customers, clients, staff, whoever it is. And one of the key challenges, and something I've realized doing all these remote shows over the last little while, is there are two things you need for a good video conference. The first thing is a great speaker and a great microphone. Those two are key. Now, every laptop has a speaker and a microphone, and for the most part, a camera built in. But generally, for lower end and even some of the other expensive commercial products out there, the microphones are very low power. So in other words, you've got to sit really close to your laptop uh, in order to make it work. The, the speakers are soft, so it's terribly difficult if there's more than one of you in the room. Or in fact, if the sound is not entirely clear to make out what's going on. And third, and we've all seen this, in fact, we've seen it on TV, we've seen it with everyone we have video conferences with, you generally have a really poor camera. These tiny little cameras that are built into the bezel of a laptop frame are generally really bad. Some of them are okay, some of them work quite well, but the vast majority of them are terrible. They get a really low-resolution, fuzzy picture with a terrible um contrast so you can hardly see what's going on and if the lighting isn't perfect well then uh, you look like this fuzzy blob sometimes that works in your favor especially if you're in uh, your pajamas or your shorts doing a an interview but that being said it's really important to have the right tools and they're almost a must-have today they're not really uh, a nice to have so a really good conference speaker or some form of speaker microphone makes a lot of sense a decent quality webcam, even on your laptop that has one, again, makes a lot of sense. And for the last couple of weeks, um, with the, uh, you know, kind loaning of the product to me by the, the distributor, I've been playing with something called an Anchor Ultra Clear Portable Conference Speakerphone. And I've been super impressed. I've been using it on my desk. I've been using it to travel. And it's a fairly large puck-like device. I mean, it's not terribly light. It's not terribly uh, heavy at the same time. It's, it comes in a nice little zip bag, which you can pop it in your briefcase. And I've traveled with it all over the show. I've sat in coffee shops with it. And what it does, it connects either via USB cable or Bluetooth to your um, laptop and gives you a full conference speaker and microphone setup. It has four mics that pick up from all directions. They're long range, so you don't have to sit so close. And the best part is it sells for around about 
or call it 2,000 rand to 2,400 rand, depending where you buy it. And it improves the quality of your conferences absolutely no end. It's also battery powered, so you can run it almost. I've run it for days without even charging it. So you can connect it via Bluetooth, battery powered. It works like an absolute bomb. It replaces your laptop speakers. It replaces your laptop microphone. And away we go. So it's really well worth a look. And I've tried a couple. I've tried a few from Polycom. I've tried some really expensive ones. And this one's sound and quality. It enhances your voice. It cuts background noise. has been pretty impressive with both Zoom, with Teams, you name it. So if you're looking for a really good quality um, device at a really reasonable price, I think, for what it is, the new Anchor Power Conference Bluetooth speaker. I've looked online. I see an incredible collection connection. I see it at Take A Lot. I see it at a lot of different places, even on Bid or Buy. So it's really easy to find, very, very well worth the investment. And couple that with, I'm using a Logitech Brio camera wherever I go. It's portable, USB, not wireless, so you've got to plug it in. But for the most part, you can get amazing quality cameras at very reasonable money, but well below a 1,000 Rand for the most part. And I highly recommend something like the C505 or C270 from Logitech. I've tried a couple of the no-name brands. There are a lot of cheap ones out there. But the one, the quality of the cameras is terrible, and they really don't, and they struggle in low light. And all you've done is replace your poor quality laptop camera for an expensive um, or not so expensive external camera with all the hassle. So they all clip to the top of your monitor. They clip to the top of your laptop should you need it. The only time it becomes a little bit difficult to use if you're using an iPad, but generally the iPad front cameras are okay and the microphones are also okay. But for work-provided laptops, I've normally seen that people that are going around with these supposedly expensive tools have terrible video conferencing skills and or, or equipment to make their skills better. So have a look at it. I, I highly recommend this new Anchor Power Conference unit. It's It works like an absolute charm. You can connect your phone to it if you want. You can connect your laptop to it through Bluetooth. It's slick and easy to use, volume controls. And if there's two or three of you uh, around a large table, all socially distant, it actually works extremely well to pick up the voices of the various people. And you can see a little blue light flashes when it's it's picked up a person sitting to the left, to the right. So there are four directions you can sit on. And the sound goes really loud. So even in a noisy environment, you can play the sound back. And it, it works really smartly and very easily. The camera thing is a, is a personal thing. But I must say, I believe that if you're, you're a professional and you're doing work, it's well worth investing between 750 and 2,000 Rand for a really good quality video camera that you can um, that you can use to take your video conferencing to the next level. And um, on that note, I think we have to have a quick break for our sponsors. And then I'm coming back with a few last little recommendations for this week's show. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And one of the other gadgets I've been playing with for the last couple of days, actually, not that long, is the new Galaxy A32 5G from Samsung. Now, a lot of people have asked me about 5G and wherever I've used it, and it's available in some interesting places around the country and globally is growing like mad. 5G is well worth having even on your phone 
but we'll go into the details later. But back to the A32 5G. It's the latest generation of the A-series, which is their mid-range and well-priced series. So between 5499 and 5999. And I can tell you now that I am super impressed with both the quality, the camera quality, the screen quality, and where 5G is available with the speed and the slickness of um, this phone. And I think the point here really is that we are talking about a 5G phone for under 6,000 rand. In South, in South African terms, that is an absolute bargain. The construction is great. It looks the part. It doesn't look like an inexpensive phone. And it is the first, I believe, of many well-priced 5G phones as 5G becomes more and more available across the country. By the end of this year, I expect to see it pretty much in all the urban areas. And it, the, the voice quality is better. The browsing quality is great. And just using the phone, I've not done a full review as yet. But if you're looking for a mid-range, in fact, mid to lower range, top-notch phone, it's got a six-point, I'm trying to remember the exact number, 6.4-inch screen, I think, um, with 128 gig of built-in memory. You can also pop in DualSIM, which is quite useful. And um, though there are two models, just check that you want the DualSIM or the SingleSIM. The SingleSIM is not cheaper, so I would suggest get the DualSIM. It's always well worth having. And it really works extremely well. It will, I've tried an MTN 5G. I've tried an Vodacom 5G, and it's pretty seamless. It pops up. It works. It shows. The new UI is really great. And, of course, with all the service and support you get from Samsung, it makes it a bit of a no-brainer. It's quite a hard act to fellow at those sort of prices. So, again, be careful. Glass front, plastic back, but still get a case. And, overall, I've been super impressed with the little time I've spent with the Galaxy A32. I think Samsung have really risen to the uh, challenge of the Chinese competition, and there is some significantly good competition out there today. But in, in usual fashion, Samsung are a mature, slick operation. You've got all the other ecosystem stuff that makes it really well worth uh, having a look at. So if you're in the market for this, as I said, if you're in the market for a, a really decent quality phone, it works pretty well on games. I've tried one or two games. The process is not that strong. But generally, it, it powers through absolutely everything I've thrown at it, and, and, and it has, again, the full Android experience. Everything works on that. I've done Teams meetings from it. It's been an absolute pleasure to use over the last few days. And I will actually spend a bit more time and come back to you. But I was just super impressed with the overall quality, performance, and just the look. No one actually realized I was using a mid-range phone at all. It, it looks the part. The screen's sharp and clear. And the performance is excellent for the money. So check it out. It's the new Galaxy A32 from Samsung. There are a couple of others I'm playing with that are very competitive from Oppo and other guys. But uh, Samsung is a trusted brand, and a lot of people are very comfortable buying what they know. And on that note, I'm afraid I have to wrap it up. I'm being told that my time is over for this week. But stay tuned. Enjoy your weekend. Travel responsibly. Enjoy yourself responsibly. And let's all meet again Thursday, same time, same place, right here on High FM for Tech Talk.